have traded the 26th pick to the Green Bay Packers. With the 26th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. The Philadelphia Eagles select Jalen Hurts, quarterback, Oklahoma. The Cincinnati Bengals select T. Higgins, wide receiver, Clemson. Tampa Bay Buccaneers select Antoine Winfield, defensive back, Minnesota. Andrew Dowdy back on the High Motor Podcast here on Sunday morning after the NFL Draft with an all-draft episode today. A couple great guests on the show to break things down. I have Pete Bukowski, host of the Lockdown Packers Podcast, here to talk about that Jordan Love pick, why that happened, should it have happened, will it work in Green Bay, and then Roto World NFL Draft Analyst Thor Nystrom going to widen the lens on the draft with him as we put a bow on this class after three days after 255 picks. Pete Bukowski, Thor Nystrom on the High Motor Podcast. Peter Bukowski, host of the Locked On Packers Podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Packers trade up from 30 to 26 on Thursday night. In that moment, Peter, what player are you thinking they're targeting at 26 and how far down that prediction list was Jordan Love at 26 for you. <laughs> well, it's funny because there's two parts of that, right? So the the player I thought they were going up for was one of two guys. I thought they would be go up they would go up for Patrick Queen and T Higgins was the other name and and one of the reasons T Higgins was on my mind was actually I got a text from someone that asked me about my thoughts on T Higgins. And so my brain immediately connected the dots. Oh, mm-hmm. that's what this pick is. But they, they turned out to be unrelated thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was a chance they were moving up for one of the offensive tackles as well. Josh Jones from Houston was still on the board Ezra Cleveland from Boise state was still on the board. So that was the, the group of players that I thought it would be when it was ultimately Jordan love. I mean, I have to say I was, I was pretty stunned and, and even, you know, 24 hours past, I'm, uh, you know, was stunned and, and trying to, to grapple with it all. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty jarring for fans, especially I think when they have to grapple with the fallibility of their own superstars and the heroes, you know, this was the same thing that happened in 2005. The Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was coming off a, a 10 and six playoff season. It was the coming down to the end of his career. And the cry was get him more weapons, get, get players for the defense and make another Super Bowl run. Uh, when you have to look at the end of the career of someone that you love, that's a really a really difficult position to be in for a fan. Now, talking to those like myself, you know, I watched Jordan Love in Utah State in college for for my own enjoyment of college football, and not talking to someone who who's looking at Love for his pro prospects. How much NFL stock should we be putting into his widely reported struggles last year uh, after that mass? exodus of his skill players i know i was reading up on, on your scouting report from jordan love how worried are you about what happened last year moving forward for him with the packers well you know what's really remarkable is when you look at jordan love and and compare him to what happened with joe burrow right and i, I know that might seem unfair but let's just let's just take it for instance okay in 2018 each guy threw catchable 
balls on 77% of their throws. For Joe Burrow, he gets Joe Brady, who ends up being an, an NFL offensive coordinator the following season. He gets Jamar Chase, Jordan Jeffer- Justin Jefferson, excuse me, Thad Moss, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and the best offensive line maybe in college football, at least they were um, awarded as such last season. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jordan Love loses his top five receivers, his head coach, his offensive coordinator, his quarterback's coach, and his offensive line is a mess. And that hurts everything about what he's trying to do. His passer rating, and I know that's a flawed stat, his passer rating when not pressured. So we're just measuring, you know, something closer to just quarterback play. It's not, it's not, um, you know, he's not being blitzed. He's not being moved off to his spot. He's just getting to sit back and make throws. He had a, a college passer rating of 124 in uh, 2018. In 2019, that fell all the way into the low 80s. I mean, that that is an indication for you. The, oh, the other number that jumps out, five scrambles in 2018, 32 scrambles in 2019. The offense fell apart, and he was just out there trying to make plays. I think that's why you saw the interception numbers spike. I think that's why you saw the completion percentage fall. Um, and, and I think he was out there trying to make plays. He, he said, so he was on the stick to football podcast in the pre-draft process and said, uh, you know, I, I was trying to do too much, just trying to make plays because, you know, the, not everyone was in the right spots. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking now the, the offensive line was a mess. So I, I think there are excusable things to, to point to with the decline there. It's a question of the, the bad habits that he developed the field read issues um, that that he had last year, how fixable are those? And and those are questions that that we won't be able to answer until we actually see him on an NFL field. All those things that you mentioned, you know, Matt Wells leaving, obviously David Yost wouldn't leave with him, skilled players uh, gone. Let's say there's a fantasy world in which that doesn't happen, in which Matt Wells doesn't leave. Like I said, David Yost obviously can't go with him. Then the skilled players are back. And then Jordan Love has a, a 2019 like he did 2018 any idea where he's ranked as a prospect if that happens again in 2019 like he did play in 2018 any clue are we sitting here talking about Jordan Love as a top three top five prospect absolutely 100% yes and and this is why I made the comparison to Joe Burrow Joe Burrow went from a late day three pick to I mean Mel Kiper Jr. said fifth round sixth round pick after the 2018 season and he becomes the number one overall pick He got better, but his circumstances got significantly better. Jordan Love's circumstances got significantly worse, Mm -hmm. and so he got worse. But if he has – even if he just maintains, right, he just has another season in 2019 like he had in 2018, he is a top 10 pick all day, Mm -hmm. and Green Bay has no chance to take him. It was only because of this 2019 season that Green Bay was even in a position to draft Jordan Love – I had someone um, in the league say uh, two years ago that when we were looking at this draft class and it was Tua and it was Justin Herbert, it was go. I think we were going into we were mi- maybe it was a year and a half ago that of all the guys that could be available in the tw- top of the 2020 draft, Jordan Love was the guy that he was the number one pick dark horse. So that tells you what the physical tools are. Daniel Jeremiah said most physical tools, uh, most talented physical player in at the position in the draft. Multiple scouts um, have said that as well. So, I mean, the, the physical tools 
are are really are quite impressive. Right now, so as of this moment right now, I'm going to try to get an answer out of you for this one. Was Jordan Love the right move for this team? And I know that it's a stupid question to ask, but right now, as of this moment, was this the right move for the Packers? I think we have to we have to take the long view of this and we have to see what their roster looks like opening day. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to see what opening day is. I mean, there are still moves that can be made. There are still trades that can be made. I, I think we, we have to we have to look at this and see year two, year three. Here's the here's the way I'll answer your question. And, and I know I'm ducking it a little bit. If you are looking at purely from like an analytical standpoint. If Jordan Love is an 80 out of 100, let's use Madden rankings. If he's an 80, Jordan Love at an 80 is more valuable to the Packers, even if he doesn't start until year four or year five, than an offensive tackle or a receiver who's also an 80. Mm -hmm. It's just the case that the quarterback position is so impactful, so meaningful, that their play dictates everything about your organization. And so what is fascinating is – after a, a terrific first season for Matt LaFleur and a culture change and, you know, being one of the the beloved sons of the NFL in his first year as a head coach and Brian Gutekunst going through two aggressive off seasons and finding some potential star players in the draft, making the best free agent signing in Green Bay since Reggie White in bringing in Zadarius Smith. They've now hitched their wagons to Jordan Love mm-hmm. and it will now define their tenure as an administration in Green Bay, much the way that drafting Aaron Rodgers did uh, with Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy. That worked out pretty well for them. No guarantees it's going to work out the same way here. But if it does hit and you assume anytime you draft a player that they're going to be good, right? You're not going to take a player and go, yeah, he's eh, going to be okay. Mm-hmm. No, if you think he's going to be good, then Jordan Love good is the best pick the Packers could have made here. What do you see as the most likely way that this plays out and obviously we're talking very generally here but i mean is this a jordan love could start in the next two or three years or um you know we're seeing love on his second contract with the packers before he starts is this a jimmy garoppolo situation any predictions of where this might land when we're sitting here talking five years from now you know it's pretty hard to sit here you know hours really after this has happened um and and make a prediction like that but I think what you're going to see is Aaron Rodgers uh, in three or four years decides that, you know, he's had enough. Mm -hmm. He's going to walk away. He said his legacy is important to him. He also said on the Pat McAfee show a while back that, you know, he'd like to he'd like to finish his career in Green Bay. That was meaningful for him, but that he also felt like he was seeing Drew Brees and Tom Brady playing to their 40s that, that he could he feels like he could do the same thing. So. I, I would not be surprised if at the end of his contract, Jordan Love is given the keys to the car and that Aaron Rodgers is either retired or plays somewhere else. And I, I know that that's hard to swallow. But look, Aaron Rodgers also looks up to Tom Brady and Tom Brady's in Tampa Bay right now. Mm. He did the unthinkable as well. And so is the is the door now open for something like that, I think that's a that's a circumstance that we at least have to consider at this point. That's Peter Bukowski, Locked On Packers podcast. Highly recommend that one if you haven't checked it out. Packers fans, non-Packers fans, the Locked On Packers podcast. Peter, thanks for the time today. Uh, take care and enjoy the rest of your spring. You too. Roto World NFL Draft Analyst Thor Nystrom back on the High Motor Podcast as we put the bow on the 2020 
NFL draft and throw. There's a lot I want to get to here, starting with with this. Pete Bukowski, host of the Lockdown Packers podcast, he was on the show just before you talking Jordan Love at 26. You know, what was was that the biggest surprise of the draft for you, or was it something stand above it? That was a pretty big one. Yeah, um, yeah. Just in terms, of, it, it wasn't the biggest one in terms of value. In fact, I had Jordan Love ranked as the 26th player in the class, and he went in the 26th slot. So, so in terms of that. It wasn't the biggest surprise, but in, in terms of landing spot, yes, it was. It, you know, I mean, like the, the Packers, they, you know, I mean, everyone thought they were sitting dead right on a receiver. They're so close, you know, in terms of their, their championship window, uh, championship contention window. And you might think that that thing is closing there. Um, and instead of, you know, we're sitting in this, this historically stocked receiver class. And instead of taking a receiver in the first round there, when there's all these studs sitting there, they, they end up taking a quarterback and what was bizarre about it, you know, in terms of their draft as a whole, which I ended up giving an F, um, was that they didn't take a receiver the entire time, the, the entire draft. I mean, it wasn't just a, the first the first pick. As we went along, they, they didn't take a receiver at all. I, I thought that they had a very bizarre strategy where it was like a slap in the face to Rodgers with the first pick. And it was almost like they just continued to slap <laughs> Rodgers in the face, like as we went all the way down. So. I thought that was a bizarre pick. Um, I, I thought the most shocking pick, well, maybe that was the most shocking pick, but maybe the most bizarre pick maybe came uh, right after that with Jordan Brooks in the first round, which just in terms of, of value, where I, I, I thought Jordan Brooks was more of like a fourth round player that, that went in the first round to Seattle. So if, if like in terms of head scratchers, I, I'd say those two, and then Damon Arnett going to the Raiders, I, he was another guy. I, I found him to be more of like a third round type guy. So I, I, I thought that those were pretty big reaches as well. I mean, how surprised were you really about the Seahawks? They've reached and you've crushed them in the past for going after like LJ Collier, uh, Rashad Penny a couple of years ago. And I get that. Yeah, you said fourth round grade on, on Jordan Brooks, but seeing what the Seahawks have done the last few years, really reaching for these players, were you that surprised that it was the Seahawks who did it? No, 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 not at all. I mean, like if, if it had been another organization, maybe, but uh, the Seahawks just have this propensity to, to say like YOLO, we don't care. You know, like we, we, we don't care how the rest of the NFL grades these ones. Like if we fall in love with the player, we'll just take them wherever. Um, and if, if that's what they want to do, that, that's their prerogative. But I think it would behoove them a little bit to take a look at the rest of the NFL and, and where they're grading some of these players. And, you know, if you're going to fall in love with a Rashad Penny or an LJ Collie or Jordan Brooks, that's fine. That's, that's great. You know, n- knock yourselves out. Again, you, you probably ought to figure out where the rest of these teams are grading these guys because you could probably trade down a bit and recoup some draft capital, you know, which is, you know, I mean, like the, the, the Seahawks have, have blown a lot of draft capital here, not, not just in taking guys, but, you know, in, in terms of not having as many picks there. They could pick up some extra picks and still get these guys. You know, in the, these past couple of classes, who was going to hop them for Rashad Penny? You know, like, you know, that, that year, Schneider comes out after the draft, was trying to justify it to the media and was saying like, oh, we were offered a first round pick for Rashad Penny after we made that pick. And the media is looking around like, no, you weren't. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, no one called you after that pick and offered you a first round pick. Like, this isn't the NBA. People don't offer first round picks like after you made a first round and they wouldn't have done it for Rashad Penny. No one, someone would have picked Rashad Penny before you. Like if that that didn't happen, you know, it's the same thing with Collier. They're they're taking non first round players in the first round and they seem to do it just about every single year. So 
it wasn't a surprise that it was the Seahawks, but it, it was a surprise to see Jordan Brooks in the first round. It was I, I, it, that was a jaw dropper for sure. Yeah, I pull up your Thor 500 because I couldn't remember. I know you said you had a fourth round grade, number 118 on Jordan Brooks, linebacker uh, 11. And I know that you were really low, like we talked LJ Collier. And yes, they've hit on some of those mid and rate, late round picks. That's kind of what's kept that franchise afloat for the last, uh, what, seven or eight years of Schneider. But uh, definitely a reach there. You know, turn this around a little bit from, from your tweets, from your reports and grades. You know, it looks like you were all about that Javon Kinlaw pick, Tristan Wirf slipping a little bit, Justin Jefferson at, at 22. Is there a pick that stands above the rest where you say, yeah, you got great value, but you also just made a hell of a pick? I love the Tristan Wirth pick for, for Tampa Bay. You know, situationally, you know, an in, 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 in organization obviously looking to, you know, for with the metaphor, sort of turn around the pirate ship there. You get, you get Tom Brady falls into your lap. Gronkowski falls into your lap. The offseason's starting to go really well. And you're sitting there in the middle of the first round and people who do my job, because we have nothing else to do, especially in, in sort of the coronavirus reality that we're sitting in here. As you know, Andrew, we've, we've run through like a gajillion mock drafts. Everyone has, you know, like everyone out there has done a, a billion mock drafts leading up, you know, in, in, in the late April here. And the, the buck sitting where they were, every time you do one of the iterations of these things, you're trying to figure out how the bucks are going to get one of those four big tackles. That's what they needed. Everybody knew it. Can they get one of the four big tackles? Um, and if they didn't, who were they going to take? You know, cause it was like, well, would they take a receiver then? Or like, like, the, the, you know, are they going to bail out of the pick, you know, and then, and then move back and get like an Ezra Cleveland or a Josh Jones or like one of those guys, um, things were going to get awkward if, if they couldn't get one of those top four tackles. So they were in this really sort of weird spot. You know, we knew the Browns were going to take a tackle. The Jets were going to take a tackle. And so, you know, it, like a, a lot of things depended on the teams above them and, and they needed a lot of luck for, for one of these guys to fall down. And a lot of times when you saw the, the mocks go, a, a lot of the ways that the scenarios went, the Bucks were not going to have one of those, those top guys, one of, the, one of the big four fall to them. It, the way that it went on Thursday night, not only did one of them fall to them, but in my opinion, and in Dane Brugler's opinion, and in several other folks' opinion, the best of the four mm-hmm. fell to them. And objectively, one of the great, uh, athletes and one of the great offensive lineman athletes in the history of the NFL felt to them in Tristan Wirfs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a guy who broke uh, records for both of the jumps, the vertical jump and the broad jump in, in, in Indianapolis and a guy who holds numerous records in, in terms of weightlifting in the Iowa, uh, you know, in the, in the Iowa weightlifting room and a, a place that, that just churns out monster weightlifters, um, like just just an absolute coup so he he's definitely one that that stands out a, a guy who just sort of filtered down where you know again situationally you you just wouldn't have expected that and and what a grand slam for Tampa Bay and they got another one in the second round where Antoine Winfield mm-hmm. falls down to them in another position in need I ended up giving Tampa Bay an A plus because you're looking at a team that that now all of a sudden you know they, they have this contention window themselves the, you know, next year, you know, maybe two years now, and they just so happen to get a couple of rookies that can help them with that these next couple of years. I, I just thought it was a grand slam draft for them. Are those two the most surprising falls of your class? I know that you've been all over like LaVisca Chanel for several years now. Him falling to 42, was that a medical concern? Um, like you mentioned, Winfield down to 45, uh, you know, somebody like Trayvon Diggs falling down to 51. Were those two the most surprising falls, Worfs and Winfield for you? 
I think there is more surprising falls. I, I think those I think those two guys in, in terms of Tampa were the most sort of like um situationally beneficial falls like for for that specific scenario. But there's there was bigger surprises for me. Like for instance, um, Curtis Weaver falling to the fifth round was, 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 was crazy surprising. Um, uh, Hunter Bryant falling out of the draft was, was pretty stunning. You know, he, he was a guy, I mean, he, I had him tight end five on my board, but there was a lot of people out there who had him at tight end one, you know, and he, and he just didn't get touched, you know, 275 picks or whatever. You know, you mentioned Chenault. I wasn't super surprised on that just because, he, you know, in, just in sort of the way he'd been talked about, we we'd sort of gotten the idea that he was going to fall out of the first round, and and you hit on it, just being the medical thing, and it, it's just sort of the the time that we were in where because of the coronavirus thing, these guys with the the medical issues were not able to get inside of the buildings post combine, right? Like you know during the combine, they you know the guys that were invited there with the medical concerns, they were able to see some of these teams but they weren't able to get there for the medical rechecks. And so, you know, the, the teams had to take their doctor's word for it. You know, guys like Tua, guys like LaVisca Chanel, guys like uh, Natani Muti, who ended up falling to the fifth round um, and got taken by the Broncos. But some of these guys, you know, the non-elite prospects, you know, it, it ended up not hurting Tua. And it, well, actually, that ended up ha- helping the Dolphins, you know, just sort of the mystery around that. But some of these other medical guys that were non-top five prospects, you saw the way in which that manifested and, and hurt their draft stock where they sort of got knocked down for that, where other prospects that were sort of in the same uh, value range, they were all winning the tiebreakers against those guys. And you see guys like, like Chenault, like Muti, you know, other guys like that. They just sort of got knocked down the board a bit. And I, I think Chanel probably lost 20, 25 slots off his draft slot just because of, of, of the medical stuff. Cause he wasn't able to get examined and cleared by team team doctors and Muti probably lost, you know, a, a, a round or two off of his because of the same thing. You mentioned Curtis Weaver falling all the way to the fifth round, 164 to the Dolphins looking at day three. I know you said you really liked the fit of Tyler Johnson to the, to the Buccaneers with Antoine Winfield, his stones throw from, from us here in the twin cities. Who else did you like in that day three where you either feel it's just feel it's just a great fit, or it's just a hell of a player falling to to those last four rounds. You mentioned Tyler Johnson, tremendous fit. I mean, like Tom Brady in 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 the history of the NFL. You talk about a quarterback who 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 has used slot receivers in the history of the NFL better than Tom Brady and Tyler Johnson. Right, right. What did he get nitpicked for all process speed and 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 the burst? You know that that he can't play on the outside. Well we know that he's going to be a starting slot receiver in the NFL pro football focus. Um, you know, I mean, they've been very public about the fact that they think that he is the second best slot receiver in this class outside of Justin Jefferson. It, it's hard to dispute that, you know, I mean, like just when you look through the, the rest of the guys, I mean, like, you know, James Prochet and like some of these other guys, like you can make a very valid case that Tyler Johnson is that I think that Tyler Johnson is going to be a starting slot receiver in in, in in this league and like you look at that Tampa Bay offense if if Tyler Johnson can get playing time there he's got some numbers and and he might be able to, to get playing time in 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 that offense and um I mean playing with Tom Brady my my gosh I mean just I you know I I, I thought that that was a a tremendous one so, some other guys um Ben Barch a uh, guy who went to Jacksonville and another local guy uh, for Andrew and I from uh, from up north and at St. John's guy, um, 
comp to Riley Reef if, if he hits his ceiling. Um, he went in uh, fourth round to Jacksonville. I had him as tackle 11. I thought he was going to go a little bit higher, and a lot of people around the NFL did too. He was sort of the talk of uh, Indianapolis at the Combine. Um, but he, he just ends up falling out of Friday night and, you know, he ends up going on Saturday, but he's a kid who I think has a very bright future. And I know that Jim Nagy at the senior ball was incredibly high on, on Ben Barge. Um, so I, I think Jacksonville got a very good developmental tackle there. Another tackle who, who just sort of free fell and people were very confused on Twitter about why this was happening, but Prince Tago Wanago from Auburn, he was a kid that everyone thought was going to go in the second round throughout the process. He ends up falling into the sixth round. He went the 210th pick to Philadelphia. I was getting a ton of questions about why he was falling down the board. Um, it was because of his knee. Um, he, he, he's got a knee thing. And this is another thing, you know, we don't typically even in, in the media during the, the draft process, we, we don't get a ton of information about the medicals. This year was even worse you know, just because of the way that things were. And this year, you know, the teams knew even less than they typically do. And so, you know, a, a kid like Prince, that hurt him even way worse than I think it would have in a, in a typical year. And so you see a guy like that, he just, uh, you know, his free fall begins. And so he was available incredibly, incredibly late. Do I know how bad that is? No, I, I, I'm not a doctor and I didn't stay at Holiday Inn Express last night, but if if his if his knee is okay, Philly got an absolute steal there because that's that's a round two tackle who's who's available incredibly late. So it, it, there was a lot of good values. There. I mean, dude, you even look at like the the top available UDFAs. I mean, like Anthony Gordon from Wazoo. I thought he was a fourth round quarterback. You know, he he was out there for free afterwards. You know, he he signed with the Seahawks. I I crapped all over the Seahawks draft, but I guess they got a, a fourth round quarterback for free. So I, you know. Like, you know, a guy like that, David Woodward is a very good uh, college linebacker. Thaddeus Moss, Randy's kid, was out there for free. Javelin Goodry, who runs a 4-3, you know, the cornerback from Utah. There was a lot of good players that, you know, that were available late, but also guys that, that fell out. And I don't know if that was a function just of the, the, the corona thing or or what, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a very deep draft um, and also a very interesting draft. And, the UDFAs this year, I, I think you're going to see a lot of UDFAs that, that that show up and are contributors in this league. Hey, Thor, last thing for you, looking for you know, a contrarian view here. Which people do you or which picks do you think are getting a lot of love uh, over the last few days that you just don't get? I mean, I'm not saying that, for example, Chase Young, you don't love the fit there because I'm sure you do. I'm sure you love the player. But something like that where, where everybody that you respect is all over a player and a pick and you're just not seeing it. Anybody fit that, Bill? One one pick that I'll toss out that I, I disagreed with that I, I think most analysts really liked but that I, I didn't was Carolina taking Derrick Brown at seven. Um, and, and, you know, it's Matt Rule's first pick. I, you know, and I, 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 I really respect Matt Rule. You know, he's, he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. And, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. But my thing with that pick is Isaiah Simmons is on the board. And Isaiah Simmons is a defensive prospect, sort of unlike I've ever seen before. I, I comped him uh, to Mega Derwin James, uh, which is a comp that I, I saw from Danny Kelly. And I was, you know, my buddy from ESPN and or, uh, from the uh, uh, from the ringer. And I was so I was so jealous of it. I had to steal it, although I I saw uh, from uh, the, the team that, that he got taken, Simmons got taken from the Cardinals that was an even better comp, Brian Urlacher, which which I'm so jealous of that that I, I wish I'd seen it before the draft, and now I want to steal it. But Simmons was out there, and 
you know, Carolina decides to take sort of the meat and potatoes defensive lineman instead. And I just feel like Derek Brown has limitations to his game. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's a very, very good player. And I understand sort of, you know, rule coming in, he, he wants to sort of build that defense sort of from, you know, the, the, the front out or that fulcrum point out. Um, and, and you get this, this sort of like Colossus sort of marauding type, you know, bang the head, you know, of, of the guys inside, you know, the head knocker kind of a guy, and he's going to occupy, um, you know, blockers and, you know, even double teams, you're not going to be able to move him. You know, he's like, you know, the, the mountain from game of Thrones and, you know, he's going to, he's going to help out all of our, you know, linebackers and stuff like that. And we're going to be able to flow to the ball better. And he's going to be able to push the pocket and stuff like that. But like, as a pass rusher, Derek Brown, in my opinion, is always going to be limited. He just is. He has athletic limitations, and he doesn't have a ton of moves as a pass rusher. He's just sort of a bull rusher guy. Um, and so, like, for me, with Isaiah Simmons, you can do everything with Isaiah Simmons. Last year, Isaiah Simmons played, like, 825 snaps at Clemson. He played over 100 snaps at five different positions, and at every single position – he graded out over 80 plus at PFF and basically every single metric, you know, run defense, pass defense, you know, uh, rushing the passer and tackling. So basically he was a lead in every metric at, you know, every single position he played. You don't see that. It's, it's unheard of. Um, I I don't know why you just wouldn't take this sort of chess piece. Unlike, you know, we've ever seen before. And what, what, what made it even sort of weirder was the, the rest of Carolina's draft, they took all defensive players later on uh, Carolina takes Bravey on Roy, who was, was, was Matt rules old buddy from, from Baylor, the, the big nose tackle who sort of plays, you know, around what, and he sort of plays in a sort of a similar way to what, what, what Brown plays, but Carolina had to need a linebacker. Well, they didn't take a linebacker. And I'm just sort of thinking, well, if you're going to take Bravey on Roy later, why didn't you just take Simmons, you know, to start off with, you didn't, you didn't take a linebacker and uh, you know, Carolina made some comments after that first round where they, they were sort of saying like, uh, they were sort of trying to justify the pick and, you know, they, they, they had some ridiculous explanation. It's so dumb. It's, it's even escaped my mind about Well, I think they said that they wanted him to go to a more veteran team. That explanation doesn't even make sense. It's like, it, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. It, yeah. It, thank you for reminding me. It was so stupid. It just like, it, it went out, it broke my brain reading it. It's like, you take the best player, man. You take the best player. All right, Thor. Always a pleasure. Uh, thanks for chatting and breaking this down for us. Be well, my friend. Thanks brother. Appreciate you.